We're going to worship a bit later on. I was just looking around to see if the band was still there, but they, they got the message. There they are over there. So we'll, we'll be worshiping a bit later on. Um, we're going to look at the Bible now. Uh, if you're a visitor here, unfamiliar with what we do, every week we, we have a time where we take a, a reading from the Bible and uh, I, I try, and Edward and others who speak, trying to kind of explain uh, the story or whatever's going on. And we've been looking recently at the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And uh, we're in chapter 2 and verse 11. So if you're, if you're kind of joining us in the middle of a series, uh, I'm really sorry about that, but you can catch up uh, by reading the rest of the letter or even, if you dare, to listen to the messages online. I know some people do. Um, so we're going to read from um, verse 11. So it's halfway through chapter 2 of Ephesians. If you want to follow it, it's on the screen or if you have a Bible with you. Uh, I do encourage you to, to bring a Bible if you're, if you're happy doing that to church. Sometimes it's good to have the text in front of you as we speak uh, about it, just so that you can make sure that we're doing it right, you know. Okay. Therefore, Paul writes, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Bible and we thank you for all that it teaches us of you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the things that he wrote to the early church. Lord, we live in the 21st century. But we pray that by your spirit you'll apply what Paul wrote to that first century church to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I've always loved Paul, but 
as I reread uh, his letters, I, I, I like him even more. Don't always understand everything he says, but then that's not new for me. There are lots of people I don't understand. Um, but I split this chapter into two, and last time I likened it to the whole chapter like a photo album. And I told you about my photo album, which is now on my computer because I don't print out photographs anymore. And so if I just put my computer on, you know, it's just standing there, there'll be photographs that just go round and round, and they go back, you know, many, many years now. And so I'll have memories that come flooding in, and I can pray about certain situations. And those Photos are split into two. Some are portraits. So there, there are portraits, say, of, of Caris that I took when she was smaller. And, and they're quite detailed. There's just the one person in them. But other pictures are landscapes. And they're either of sort of huge scenes or even panoramics when I've joined photos together just to get that whole vista. And, and in the first part of Ephesians 2, Paul paints a portrait of what salvation means to an individual believer. And we looked at that the last time we were in chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago. And in this second part of chapter 2, he, he paints a, a landscape. It's, it's a pan, panoramic view. It's, a, it's a, like a cosmic view of salvation. And the whole of um, chapter 2 is jam-packed with truth and treasure that we need to reread and reread and reread again. Because if you just glance at it, we don't always get everything that we, we could do from it. It's like when you go to a gallery and, and look at paintings. If you just stand before a painting for a second and you move on, you can say, oh, that was lovely. That was really nice. But if, if you'd stand in front of a painting for a length of time and understand the background to that painting, understand what is going on with the artist in that picture, you would get so much more, wouldn't you? When I, when I studied A-level art years and years ago... You know, people would explain what the painting means, and I'd go, wow, I never saw that. And it's the same with Paul when he writes um, in Ephesians. And, um, oh, thanks, Mike. I forgot all about that. So it would help us just to understand a little bit of the background. So Paul's writing from prison. Probably he's in prison in Rome. How did he get there? Well, and this is the background to this very passage. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem. He'd gone on his many missionary journeys, but he felt compelled to go back to Jerusalem. But he was warned by everyone, all of his friends, don't go back to Jerusalem. There's only trouble waiting for you there. He even have a prophet prophesy over him that he would be tied up and arrested. But he still goes. He feels God has led him back to Jerusalem. And if you want to read that background, it's in sort of Acts 20, 21, 22, the story of Paul back in Jerusalem. And to cut the long story short, he causes a riot. There's a riot around the temple area in Jerusalem. And they say of him, and it's recorded in Acts, their accusation against Paul is, this man teaches everyone everywhere against our people, the Jews. 
Against our law and against this place, the temple. That was their accusation. He teaches everyone against our people, our law in this place. Although Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, a strict Jew. But everything changed when he met Jesus. And besides that, the crowds believed that he'd brought a Gentile. And uh, if, if we were back in the first century, when you mentioned Gentile before a Jewish congregation, they would have gone, boo. They hated each other. Hated each other. Especially the religious Jews. Because God was their God. And you could join with them if you became one of them, like obeyed the law and things like that. But it wasn't easy. And they would put up kind of barriers. But the crowd believed that that Paul had brought a guy called Trophimus, because they'd seen Trophimus, who was from Ephesus, And where Paul writes this letter, he was one of the leaders of the early church in Ephesus. And they thought that Paul had brought him into the temple, not only into the temple area, because Gentiles were allowed so far, but had brought him into the inner courts. And there was a dividing wall where the Gentiles could see beyond but could not go beyond on pain of death. But it was mistaken identity. Paul had not taken Trophimus into that inner place. But they didn't care anyway and they they lynched him. They were going to kill him and he's rescued by the Roman authorities. And he stands up and he preaches to the crowd. And he tells about how he, he came to know Jesus. He was once far away from Jesus. Hated Jesus actually. Yet he met Jesus risen from the dead And his life was transformed and God had called him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And at that point, they just lose the plot. And they rush at him, trying to kill him. And he is again rescued. And he's about to be flogged by the Romans as punishment when he declares that he's a Roman citizen. And the Romans go, wow. Because you can't flog a Roman citizen without a trial. And he appeals to Caesar. And it takes... It takes a number of years, but Paul ends up in prison in Rome. And that's where he writes this letter. Does that help you to have a little bit of the background? And that he writes this letter. And then as he writes this letter, you can understand what's been going on. Because Paul writes in this letter, he fearlessly preaches that the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down every barrier that separates human beings. It breaks down the wall of hostility. Now, there is a physical wall. He knows that that's not been actually broken down yet. But he's saying spiritually, when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down the barriers that man put up against that Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. All are equal in Christ. All are one in Christ. Jesus brings it through his death. And, and this big canvas picture he wants to paint is, it's not just an individual thing. Yes, first part of, of chapter 2, it's about how we are saved individually by faith in Christ Jesus. Our sins forgiven. We have a new life, new meaning. But he says it's bigger than the individual. There is a new kingdom under Jesus. There is a new family of God under Jesus. And there is a new temple under Jesus. And then you can begin to understand why the Jews didn't like what he said. 
There's a new society, a new humanity, a new creation. All come in Jesus. So addressing the Ephesians, which is a Gentile church in the main. So when he writes to the Ephesians, he's actually addressing Gentiles in, in, the, in the main. And believers in Christ Jesus. This isn't an evangelistic tract that he's writing. He's writing to the church. And he paints this picture. The gospel is more than just a a personal life transforming message for individuals. Which it is. Make no mistake. Jesus came to save you and me individually. But he's come to do something even bigger than that. He has changed everything. Now, Paul would recognize that wall, but it's interesting if you look at other walls, even in the same country now. This is the wall between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. This is the Palestinians having to queue up just to to get over into Jerusalem. This is in Hebron, between just two streets, Palestinian an Israeli. This is a, you see these signs everywhere across the Holy Land. If an Israeli would cross that border, they're taking their life into their own hands. Same if uh, Palestinians come over as well, there's similar signs. That's uh, another wall, but what I wanted to point out was this wall, which separates the men from the women. And whether Paul would recognize these walls, what he's saying is that Jesus has demolished them all. Any wall that separates, he has demolished. He is the hope for the whole world. He's saying Jesus is the one. He is the one. God come himself in the flesh. Unlike any other religion and any other philosopher, he is the one. God has come himself to bring peace to a broken world. And it comes individually, of course. But it comes to the whole of creation. The gospel is bigger than just an individual experience of God. Paul says Jesus has changed everything for the whole of humanity. And then Paul does that thing again that he he often does. He did it in the first uh, part of uh, second Ephesians. He, He gives us the bad news and the good news. Do you want the bad news or the good news? We always go for the bad news first. So the bad news is, remember in the first part of chapter 2, he said, remember that you were dead. Before Jesus gave you life, you were dead. Dead in your sins. Lost because we cannot have a relationship with a holy God unless we're forgiven. But Jesus comes to forgive and break that barrier. But here addressing the church and, and basically addressing the Gentile world Paul describes our predicament before Jesus came. Just how bleak it was before Jesus came. You were far away from Christ. The Messiah. You didn't know who God was until Jesus came. You weren't part of the people of God until Jesus came. You had no share in the promises, no part of God's story yet And then he says, you are without hope and without God in this world. Because in those days, the Gentiles would have been sort of worshipped pagan idols. 
You're without hope, without God in this world. Cut off, alienated, separated. And we can apply that to our, my pre-Christian day. I became a Christian when I was 19. Before that, I didn't know who God was. I didn't recognize Jesus. But when I became a Christian, everything changed. When I believed in Jesus, I realized I was part of all God's story. And I recognized who Jesus was. It is a picture of us. We didn't have a clue about God. Worse, we even, even before I was a Christian, I thought I was right. <laughs> it's the Christians. They're all bonkers. They've got it all wrong. Paul says, no, that if you're without Christ, you're without hope in this world. But I didn't recognize it. I didn't see it. He says, the good news is this, but now, verse 13, but now, in Jesus Christ, everything's changed. For the Jew and the Gentile, for every individual, but for the whole of humanity, he wants to paint this massive picture. Once you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, and as he explains in another letter to the Galatians, Jesus is the new Israel, the perfect Israel. Where Israel had failed, Jesus did not. You see, God chose Israel to be a people, to be a light to the nations. It was there right through the Old Testament that, that God loved everyone. He wants everyone to be saved. But the Jews closed it in on themselves. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, but they weren't. And now Paul is saying something so radical, both Jew and Gentile can be saved in Christ Jesus. That we can be united with Christ. That across every tribe, tongue, language and people group of of the world, we can be one in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus breaks down the barriers. All division. All hostility. Now we have to say that even the church as in the last 21 centuries, has got it terribly wrong. In building up walls and building up divisions. And we need to repent of that. And stand firm with, with the good news of the gospel. Which is why I read that bit earlier. Because we are flawed human beings. But one day God is going to come and put all things right. All things, there will be a new creation. But Paul says, alienation has given way to reconciliation. Hostility has given way to peace. We all have access to the same Father through the same Holy Spirit. Both Gentiles who were far away and Jews who were near. They were near because they knew the promises of God. They knew the story of God, but they'd not recognized Jesus who came as the fulfillment of it. But Paul says both are reconciled 
in Christ Jesus and reconciled to each other. Isaiah prophesied in in chapter 57, peace to those who are far and near. See, the prophet Isaiah, who lived in 800 BC, knew that God wanted all people to know him, have relationship with him. In fact, Paul says that Jesus has set aside the law with its commandments and regulations. Gosh, that would have irked the Jews. But he doesn't say God has put aside the moral code. He said God has put aside religion. The human part. Circumcision, sacrifices, dietary regulations, all the do's and don'ts. He's saying, actually, God has said it's faith in Christ that matters, not the outward show of things. Religion's bankrupt. It's empty. God wants a relationship with us. And he's made possible because of Jesus for everyone. For Israeli and Palestinian. For Arab and Jew. For everyone. For Protestant Catholic. Think of all the barriers that we put up. And he says, Jesus actually in the spiritual realm has smashed them all. They don't exist anymore. But we put them up. Eugene Peterson translates it, and I love his translation, often read it in in conjunction with other. He says, Jesus has repealed the law code that had become clogged with footnotes and fine print that hindered more than it helped. The religious bit. If you were good enough, God might love you. It's the bedrock of most religions. It's the bedrock of most philosophies. If you are good enough, if you can earn it. And Christianity just says, it's nothing like that. It's God who loves you, has done something for you that you could never do for yourself. And it's free in Christ Jesus. Just faith in Jesus. To think that we could earn our salvation No, it's a gift of grace. That's what Paul preaches all the time. And we've been brought near in Christ Jesus. We are no longer outsiders. We belong because of Jesus. And in, in everything that I wrote, and I wrote a load of notes, because you could spend hours and hours trying to understand what Paul's saying. But when I wrote that down, I just... I highlighted it in, in, in sort of yellow because I just believe that I ought to say this to either one person or two people or what, however many this morning. You are no longer outsiders. If you're in Christ, you belong to God. You belong to the people of God. Even you can be in a church setting, an environment, and you can feel that you're the outsider. Everyone else has got it, and you haven't got it. If you have Christ, you've got everything you need. You belong. And that's brilliant. Because we we want to belong. 
We are fellow citizens of heaven if we, we believe in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the same family, the same household. Think of all the barriers Paul is demolishing as he says these things. It's hard in the 21st century to understand it with first century eyes, but he, he's the most radical. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Can I have uh, faith without Jesus? Well, you can have faith in anything, but you don't have salvation without Jesus. Because he's the one who makes the difference. He is God in the flesh come to rescue us. And the temple that was so precious to the Jews, the heart of the nation, the heart of their religious approach to God. And it was God who said he would put his name there, but it was for a time. And Paul says something even more radical. He says, we who belong to Jesus, the temple, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Not a temple made by human hands, but made of living stones. You and me are the temple of of God. He's telling this to the Ephesians, Gentile Ephesians. They are now part of a new, better Flesh and blood temple of Jesus Christ, made up of living stones, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is breathtaking in its scope. Paul is saying Jesus brings into being a whole new humanity, a whole new creation. That whoever would accept his love and grace and mercy is part of that. No barriers. This is the message that angered Paul's opponents. Because he says it's good news for the whole world. Good news for Gentiles. That's us. Good news for Jews. Because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament promises. Remember that promise to Abraham way back in the very beginning. When God makes a covenant with Abraham, he says, all nations will be blessed through you. That's what Jesus does. And although we don't see it yet, in all its fullness, one day we will see it. Fully displayed, a heavenly kingdom under the rule and the reign of Jesus. A new perfect family of God, a new temple, his bride, a new creation. Jesus hasn't just come to save individuals, although he does that. You and I can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can know that we belong. But he's come to renew the whole creation. This creation that has been marred and spoiled with sin and and all the things we prayed about earlier, the conflict and the pain and the suffering, he's going to bring it all to an end. Him. No one else. And that's where we need to take a step of faith. Do we believe who Jesus is? Do we 
acknowledge that it's him who is the one who makes the difference. Based on all the evidence you can have, one day there will be peace. There will be no more death, mourning or pain. No more walls, no more hostility. And this, says Paul, is the inheritance of those who believe in Jesus. Gosh. Let's pray together.